Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights, and this is as bad a fire as we... This is our 2022 NHRA season wrap-up show. we got Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna for the last time in 22. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're going to spill all the rumors we know, the news that's broken since the season ended, and what we can expect for 23. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip, and at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pedragon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. It marks a victory of 26 ten-thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here with another episode of the NHRA Insider. This is our post-Thanksgiving episode. It's going to be a kind of a 2022 season wrap-up, and I have Kevin and Tony back one last time this year to kind of give us their insight, their thoughts, and really we're going to touch on a lot of rumors, a lot of the inside stories that are bubbling up right now, and we think many of those stories, if not many, a bunch of them, will kind of bubble over into the public view at the PRI show, which is coming up about a week from when we're making this show right now. That's going to be happening the second week of December in Indianapolis. And if you're not going, you should be. The PRI show is kind of the great industry hub of racing. The SEMA show, as uh, big and glamorous and awesome as it is for the aftermarket, is really about the aftermarket. The PRI show is, of course, concentrated on the world of racing and certainly not just drag racing. Everything from stock car racing to IndyCar racing, demolition derby, tractor pulling, monster trucks. It's really all there at PRI, and it's a great industry gathering for everybody in the racing world across this country and to a large degree across the world. But that is uh, something we can talk about after the show. Tony Pedregon and I will be at the PRI show this year on the NHRA stage, conducting interviews, breaking news, and certainly uh, interviewing people in and around the world of NHRA and racing in general. Gives us a great opportunity to touch and to get touch up, I should say, with people from outside of the sport of racing. Uh, I remember a year or two ago talking to Ben Rhodes, the NASCAR Truck Series champion, and, and others um, that you know really get to kind of spread our wings a little bit at that event. And so make sure you're tuning in on NHRA.com and across the social media channels for that. But yeah, today we're just going to take a look back and, and talk about not only the year that was, but potentially the year that could be in 2023. There's a lot of backstories that are starting to form right now. We know some of them already. Um, one of the stories that we'll get into in greater depth, of course, is the separation of Angel Sampe and Vance and Hines racing going into the 23 season. They announced that just before Thanksgiving, uh, when a lot of us were kind of headed off for some family time or just a weekend maybe away from the world of drag racing. So uh, once I have those guys on and we get that conversation started, we'll go into greater depth on that front. Uh, in terms of other news in the sport of, of drag racing, uh, many of you might have heard, but good news on the front of Lucas Oil extending a uh, multi-year extension for the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. I think we're going to get some more details on that at PRI, but safe to say the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series is safe, if you will, and sponsored into the foreseeable future which is a great thing because there's a lot of positive things happening on that front of the sport. There may be um, maybe some other interesting announcements coming at PRI in terms of, uh, of categories and classes uh, involving NHRA that um, are kind of new and innovative. Hopefully we get that information out at PRI and we get to um, expand a little bit on that. It's going to be exciting if and when we can drop that news during this offseason. It is a show that's um, that's reflective in nature because I think it's always interesting. You know, I didn't want to just jump into that Pomona show, the last one we did with these guys, and just make that the year-end show because I wanted to take that race for what it was in its own context. It was an incredible contest on every level and a great way to finish our season. 
This has given us a little bit of time to breathe, a little bit of time to consider, and certainly a little bit of time to set the table for potential changes, uh, potential growth and evolution in categories like pro stock, certainly going to be some rider shifting and pro stock motorcycle. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of rumors in the top fuel category about people that are um, not only aspiring to come into top fuel, but are quietly saying they are coming into top fuel next year. And even some rumors on the funny car side, and we know there's already been some crew chief changes there with the Bob Tasket team making that change with Mike Neff and John Schaefer heading to Schumacher's team, Okuhara and um, Aaron Brooks, I should say, heading over to Tune on Bob Tasket III's car. So I think um, rather than ramble on, I will move us into that conversation with Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna. It goes for about an hour, and we touch on a lot of variations, a lot of different things going on in the sport, kind of take it as a class-by-class look, if you will. And for those of you saying, why does he keep having Tony and Kevin on? Well, I kind of like the format. It's fun. It's more of a talk radio format, if you will. And we're going to transition back into our traditional conversations with drivers and crew chiefs and personalities in the sport over the next couple of weeks as the show will, of course, continue through the offseason. But I felt like it was a good way to have our two uh, prognosticators back on for one last time. They are the like Statler and Waldorf of drag racing. Remember those two guys used to sit in the, uh, the theater? Uh, and the Muppet Show and uh, <laughs> and yell stuff at the stage. Well, that's Kevin and, uh, and Tony to a degree here, and I love the conversations that we have had all season long. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tony Pedregon, with Kevin McKenna, about virtually everything you can think of that may be coming, is coming, and could be coming in the 2023 season. All right, so as promised, this is our season wrap-up show. I have our two guys on here that have spent a lot of the year on the NHRA Insider Podcast doing our kind of pre-race and post-race shows. Got Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon to uh, kind of look back over the 2022 season. Kevin, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Just uh, already anxious for Gainesville, surprisingly. I'm, I'm getting kind of anxious for the PRI show too, Tony. I think we might hear some good stuff during that uh, event that's coming up in about, I don't know, a week or so, a week and a half. Yeah, that's really where a lot of the big news is going to drop uh, in pro stock and, you know, some changes in funny car and, um, you know, PRI, it's it's a pretty big platform. And I think uh, I think a lot of teams are just anxious to get on the stage. That's going to be streamed. I know you and I are going to be trading off. We're going to be fighting for Linda Vaughn again. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she'll it, be there. It should be good. It should be a very, uh, very uh, dramatic weekend. So let's open this up uh, maybe in a little bit different direction than we normally go, but I want to start with Alcohol Funny Car in that, uh, Kevin, we saw like a great kind of surge at the end of the year. I want to say the last four to five national events, we saw I think how good this class can really be. We saw great battles for the championship, the great Doug Gordon story. Obviously for 23, we have this injected uh, fuel combination coming in, which now we're hearing about, I think about a half dozen cars being built. So if you want to give me a little bit of a capture of the season and then what do you think 23 is going to look like? Are we finally going to see some forward movement in this class or what? I, I think so because it's always been a bit of a mystery why the alcohol funny car cl- class has fallen behind alcohol dragster, which is actually pretty robust right now. Um, I, I think w- one of the big points you touched on is, is the injected nitro thing. You know, it, it's totally a wild card. You know, nobody has really had one of these things in years and, uh, the com- combination has never been refined. We have no idea what it's capable of, but obviously some smart people, um, you know, like Steve Boggs, are going to dive into that, and uh, it, it it's going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, you know, to, to rewind a little bit, uh, the, the points battle was, was pretty epic between 
say the, the top six cars, you know, what, what Doug Gordon did coming back from that accident uh, was amazing. I don't think anybody would have blamed him if he'd have just said, hey, I'm going to take the rest of the year off, regroup, and, you know, c- come back out the first of the year. Uh, obviously, they, they weren't willing to do that. They built a brand new car in, in no time and uh, came back and, and won a second championship. And that was probably one of the more impressive things we saw this year. Yeah, and Tony, kind of your impression on the racer side of it, to, to see Gordon you know, go through what was one of the worst alcohol funny car crashes I think I've ever seen, you and me both, we watched that thing in Brainerd and just kind of cringed, and to come back and do what they did speaks a lot about, I think, his guts as a racer. Yeah, but, you know, when you think about it, racers race, you know, we've seen it a lot, but I, I think it's such a good story, you know, considering the way it happened, where it happened, how it happened. And I, I just, I, I can't get that image out of my mind. You know, of course, on the TV show, we, yeah. you know, the, all the cameras are all over the place. And just a shot of his daughters, of his wife, of, you know, of their expression. They saw the car, you know, drift to the outside. I, you know, they didn't see it coming. I don't know that any of us did. And just the overcorrection. But there's no better way to finish that off by, other than winning a championship. I mean, that that is, it's such a classic story. And, you know, racers are very hard workers, and I don't think there's very many of them that don't appreciate, you know, the fact that they can compete at such a high level on such a big stage, you know, along with the the other cars, the other drivers that, you know, they put it on the line. I, I you know, you and I, we talk about it all the time, and, you know, we're stuck up in a booth. I don't really care to go down to the starting line. I mean, these cars are pretty loud, and, you know, I know what they're capable of, and, uh, you know, it's just there's always that element of danger that I think we can never forget. And Doug Gordon is just one of those that that cheated it again, and it, it was a great ending. You know, Tony, you and I were, were I think, uh, internally and, I think, uh, publicly a little critical of uh, NHRA when they came out initially and said, well, you know, we took a poll of the racers, and, and they don't want this injected nitro combination. And that was seemed like that was going to be kind of the burying move of that thing. And then all of a sudden there was a, there was a change made, which I think is the right move to allow this thing in. And... Do you think, and again, nothing's, you're never going to wave a wand and, and fix something immediately, but do you think this is something that when somebody kind of gets it figured out to a degree that it's competitive, is this something that's going to draw more people in because of that, you know, kind of ladder effect it has driving that style of car and then going up to potentially a, a full-blown, you know, Camping World Series funny car? Well, for starters, can anything, can it get worse? I mean, then then three or four cars showing up at one national event and, and just consistently short fields so you have to do something sometimes even changing something just for the sake of changing it but i am so against asking the racers in particular the crew chiefs you know and and i know that you know this has soured a few of them but you know i've never really cared about that i've I've been on both sides uh, of the team ownership the hire driver you know i was i was put in a position where you know i i I had to figure out how to tune my car. I really couldn't pay, you know, any of the big name tuners. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of teams are really in that same situation. But the worst thing that you can do is you you ask a crew chief what is going to be best for the sport because they're not going to tell you what's going to be best for the sport. They're going to tell you what is best for them in in terms of tuning a car. And I can tell you what's best for them. Give me some money so I can burn through these parts and I'm going to smoke the tires. I'm going to blow a lot of shit up and that's what's best for me. And the owner has a different agenda. The driver has a different agenda. Then there's the fan. Then there's the sanctioning body. And of course, any responsibility and obligation is 
to do what's best for the sport. And and when you ask racers, you know, uh, that, that burn alcohol, that run a supercharger, they really don't like nitromethane. They don't like to admit it, but, you know, and, and then there's the flip side is, you know, some of these racers, you can go back to the 50s and the 60s, they like burning nitro, and if they can't quite afford uh, you know, a supercharger, they, they burn, they burn nitromethane, they, uh, with an injected version of it. And, you know, I just, I can't wait to see an injected funny car on the starting line that would draw me to watch the top alcohol category once again. And we were all draw. We know what, what firepower did in Las Vegas. We know what Tony Stewart did. It made everybody watch. And, and I think the domino effect that that is going to have by having injected funny cars compete with the blown cars, wait till you get a name driver or two or even three in those cars, just like the Xfinity series. When that happens, people tune in and that's going to be the end result. So I think, I think overall, it's not a good thing. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I agree with you, and 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 we've agreed on that really the whole way through. And and to me, it's you, you know the farmer does not consult with the fox on how to build the security for his hen house, right? You you yeah, you know the idea is to is to do the right thing that for your own uh, chickens. So um, as painful as it may be, I think this is going to be cool. And and ultimately, in my mind, I think the 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 again, this is not something that happens this year, maybe even next year, but that this idea that a big team can bring on a you know a quote unquote development driver and have them in a car that will allow them to get in the in the Camping World Series car and, and have that again way more performance but procedurally going to be kind of the same way to drive it and you know if we stick one more time on the alcohol categories uh, Kevin top alcohol dragster and as as far as it goes in my lifetime as a fan in this sport I'm not sure it's been better than it has been this season. I mean, you look at the amount of youth in that category and aspirational youth, which I think is the big thing, right? These these people that aspire to not stop there but to continue up the ladder. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing what's happened in that class over the last, I don't know, five, six years where, uh, I mean, you have a couple of things. It, it's interesting you have so many competitive women drivers. Um, can't really give you a, an answer why that is. It's just fantastic. Uh, th- that you have that, and also the fact that you have several really successful rent-a-ride programs where, you know, if you're someone that that has some budget, a sponsor, whatever, you can go in and come in and get into a competitive car for, for what I don't believe is a tremendous amount of money when you consider you're racing in a national touring series. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've seen several people do that with a lot of success, and, you know, they're getting in grade-A equipment, and I think that just helps grow the class for people who, you know, maybe want to do this, but don't have the means or the time to, uh, you know, commit to owning a shop, hiring a crew, building a car, buying trucks and trailers. You know, that, that's you, you look at other sports like sports car racing, you know, they almost solely exist uh, on, you know, paid drivers. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that, that's a fantastic thing. And, and that's also potentially a stepping stone to people who want to run top fuel and aspire, you know, I think if you can come in and, and do really well against today's top alcohol dragster field, uh, that, that's going to look really good on your resume. If you aspire to move up. And Tony, to, to Kevin's point, do you think that this, this creates a situation down the road that is positive for the sport in that let's say we'll use uh, Julie Natasa as an example. Let's say we use Julie Natasa as an example of, of somebody who's kind of following this path that so many are, 
Do you think that this creates a scenario where going forward, Julian Atas is able to come to a team owner and say, listen, I can bring X amount of money. If you can add a car for me, I can pay for it with this or I can do this. Do you think that's a positive step? Do you think that's the way that this sport evolves forward? Well, it's already happening. I, you know, and I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, if you look at top fuel and, and we really don't have it in funny car. Now, funny cars are a different animal. Uh, there's no question about that in terms of the challenge that it presents to drive at the level of, of danger. Um, but you know, the, the, there's only one downside to that, that I, and I would only caution anyone. I, I think it's a good thing for the sport overall. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Anyone that financially can, can do it, you know, that have businesses, um, you know, like, like Kevin said, that don't, that not only don't have the time to do it, but they don't want maybe necessarily the headache to build a team. You know, you have to hire a crew. There's just so much that goes, that's almost a full-time job. The, the downside is you, you really have to caution yourself when, when you get into a car that has a lot of power, you know, and, and we see it, we, we've seen it a lot where yeah. some drivers that haven't had the proper amount of experience, the proper amount of these cars, I've said it before, I'll say it again. They, when everything is right, they'll do, when they do what you want them to do, what you tell them to do, just go down the racetrack. Anybody can do it. Almost anyone. Can you do it well? Then there's, there's all these little things like leaving the starting line and car control that kind of play into winning and losing. Almost anyone can do it. Then the question becomes, well, how well can you do it? How, how competitive can you be? But you know, seat time experience. And you look at almost any other series, you, you don't see, you really don't see a driver with minimal experience going to Chili Bowl. They're not going to get in a world of outlaws car and compete with <laughs> right. the big dog without paying the price. But it happens in our sport. And, and I just think that's one of the things that these drivers have to be careful of is money will buy you a seat in a nitro uh, funny car. It'll get you in a top field dragster. Most of them, prefer a top fuel dragster that's no accident funny cars will bite you but that's the only downside but there is a lot more upside because i think uh, a driver like julie uh, or drivers like herself i think it's great when you see them come into the sport and compete and you know when we look at top fuel you look at justin ashley you look at some of these second generation drivers and it doesn't it happens less often with them um you know we saw that we saw ashley force uh, courtney force Brittany force they all did the same thing it's such a classic mistake that so many drivers have made that the more experience that you can have and, and that's why the injected funny car thing is, is another reason that it makes so much sense uh, where's a driver like where's john force going to get his next driver from yeah. And, you know, if you can pick, if you can give them some time in competition in one of those cars, it's so much more comparable than a nitro funny car. The acceleration, of course, is different and some other things. But but in terms of the starting line procedure, uh, turning the pumps on, stepping off the clutch, hopefully stepping off the clutch if they set the, these cars up right. Um, that, that's the best way to train a driver and give them experience. So uh, I think it's a good thing. You know, look at Justin Ashley when he came into the sport. And, and, uh, and even Mike Salinas, even though Mike had minimal experience, mostly in nostalgia racing, but he came with experience and he went through the learning process uh, several years in a top fuel car that finally he became, he became good because he hired uh, and consulted with, with good tuners, good drivers. Uh, Antron finally got in his car and tested it. And I think they, they learned some things, but you know, it would be nice. How nice would it be? 
in, in Nitro Funny Car. We know it's going to be Hagen. It's going to be Caps. It's going to be Robert Height. Uh, looks like it might be Cruz, and Force will always be there, and J.R. Todd, whether they're hit or miss. But how nice would it be to see a guy like Justin Ashley? And I'm not saying Justin Ashley. I'm just saying somebody new like him to come and mix it up in the top five or six or seven in Nitro Funny Car. How cool would that be? That would be fantastic. I mean, you know, the closest we've come to seeing anything like that recently was, you know, Sean Langdon drove the uh, the Global Electronic Technology car for a couple of seasons. He won a couple of races, and, you know, he – as a guy that I think all of us on this call have a lot of respect for as a driver, certainly showed us that even with the level of experience he has, it was not the it was not the most egregious learning curve. But certainly, Tony, he showed us that it's not as easy as it looks, and he even admitted that. I mean, it took him a long time to get comfortable in that thing. Yeah, and Sean Langdon, that was another case of once he did, you know, wrap his head around it and get comfortable. Uh, that's a classic case of a car that wasn't that good, but a driver made it better. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the beauty of it. And, you know, there, you talk about a guy that, that had challenges in a funny car, and this guy had as much experience as, as almost anyone could. And, and But that just goes to show you that's how hard it is when everything works right. It, it could appear easy. But, you know, the concern really should be what happens when things don't go right. And, and most of the time, it's not necessarily in qualifying. Um, it's in competition. It's in competition when somebody in the other lane smokes the tires and all of a sudden you're going on driver instinct and your foot starts doing stuff that your brain's not telling it to do. That's where, that's where a lot of drivers uh, have gotten in trouble. I've done it. I've been there. I lived it. And, you know, I just know that that's, that's the tricky part about it. But we need somebody like Sean uh, did in a good car, you know, with good backing. And we're going to see some changes in Funny Car, but I don't, I don't know that we're going to get what we want. We'll get some changes, but when it's all said and done, if it was an eighth or ninth place car, it's probably still going to be an eighth or ninth place car. Why? Because of the competition and the level of experience that guys like Caps and Height and Hagen and Cruz and Force and J.R. Todd bring to the table and Tasca bring to the table. Yeah, that's a fact. And, you know, you talk about things not going right, Kevin. We're going to uh, transition into Pro Stock Motorcycle here. Obviously, the biggest news of the offseason so far, not wholly unexpected, but the, the parting of ways between Angel and the Vance and Hines team, which, you know, was kind of uh, hinted at by Terry Vance during our, our SEMA conversations, but was announced effectively the day before Thanksgiving. And, you know, I, I'm it, it surprises me to it, when I look at the reaction of the fan base to this announcement. It, it is amazing to me only because – this sport, Kevin, is now is very highly driven by owner riders or owner drivers. So when a, a rider gets released, there's all these people that just don't understand why this would happen. But the reality is, when you're the only driver, you, you have nobody to release. But when you're a hired driver, there is an expectation of performance, and clearly she didn't match what Vance and Hines had in mind. Yeah, I, I mean, that's absolutely accurate. And as near as I can tell, I believe Angel is the only rider in the class who is – strictly a hired rider you know it's a great point your helmet and leathers you know don't you know doesn't bring money to the team doesn't work on the bike uh you know you know guys like you know joy gladstone's a hired rider but he's in the shop every day you know eddie craywick is in the shop every day um so you know for better or worse she needs to be held to a different standard and that standard is almost entirely your on-track results which you know, as we all know, ha haven't been there, uh, you know, certainly not this year and even going back into last year. Yeah. 
you know, it, it's a bike that underperformed and at some point there's accountability for that. And, you know, uh, we hate it. You know, I hope this is not the end of the road for Angel. Um, I've spoken to her. She does not want it to be the end of the road. You know, she is going to, um, probably aggressively start to look for other opportunities. You know, I don't know what's out there as far as a competitive bike that, um, you know, doesn't require a ton of funding. Um, you know, there just isn't a lot. I mean, fortunately the class is growing a bit, but as far as that opportunity, um, it's hard to say, you know, I, I honestly hope this is not the end of the road for her because I don't think anybody wants to end a career on, on that kind of note. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's a bit of a shame that that didn't work out because you would think the partnership of a three-time champion and Vance and Hines had a tremendous amount of promise. And when that bike was good, it was as good or better than any bike in the class. They just didn't re- deliver the results. And, and Tony, you know, you've mentioned this a bunch that, you know, the sponsor phone calls, the pressures that come with being in that position that she was in, in terms of being the, you know, the hired rider, so to speak. And this was not a decision that came easily, I'm sure, for Vance and Hines, because, you know, Mission Foods did a lot to activate with Angel. They had the, the store displays, they had cardboard cutouts, they had all the different stuff they did. So this was not something that Terry Vance snapped his fingers one day and did. This had to have gone pretty much up the chain, I'd have to imagine, all the way up to the sponsor who is remaining with Vance and Hines. The sponsor always has more than some influence. Uh, you know, even even some scenarios, sponsor can pick the driver, and, and I'm sure that may have been the case, or or it may have they may have worked backwards on it. You know, get someone that's marketable. Um, you know, that's a female, that's a three time champion, that's very decorated, and you know, when it's all said and done, you know, you can go back. You know, like Kevin said, you don't have to look at this year. This year, I think, I think. You know, it's pretty accurate to say it was a disaster, right? Yeah. And, you know, everybody feels that way. The sponsors, Angel, the, the driver, I mean, she she talked about it uh, every other race, literally. But um, I think I think when it's all said and done, um, you know, the, the, the team has to do what is best for the team, the on-track performance. And, you know, it just it wasn't there. I You know, and it just goes to show you how, difficult it, it could be uh you know you're talking about uh, you know such a decorated writer so accomplished uh she's pretty much done it all in pro stock bike and and you know vance and Hines, hey no discredit to matt smith matt smith um you know he's won a lot of championships he's earned every one of them he competes on the track he competes off of the racetrack but the vance and Hines team that's that's the don schumacher that's the john force of pro stock motorcycle racing. So whoever lands that is going to get an opportunity that certain guys like myself got with John Forrest, like a Ron Caps got with Don Pernome. That is like, if, if any pro stock motorcycle rider dreams of, of being on a bike, that's the one you want to be on. And that bike should be winning races. It should be competing for championships. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, 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 you know, it's just one of those sad stories, the way it ends. But, you know, hey, everybody's going to move on from it. And, you know, even even the fact that, you know, Terry Vance hinted about a few things at SEMA, he didn't even have to hint. We talked about this, I think, before the mid part of the season. Yeah. Kevin, right? We had this conversation about Angel and the struggles that she was having. And I think we all waited for her to just pull out of it. But it never really <laughs> happened. And, 
You know, I don't, I don't think it, it ends there. I think, I think people can do amazing things. I think, uh, you know, look at what Hector Jr. and what his dad come out and do and compete. And it doesn't have to be. I don't know that you're going to land a ride like that. But um, I likewise agree that I, I hope this isn't the end of Angel. And I hope she shows up and, and, um, and gives us, gives us uh, something to cheer for. Yeah, and, and, you know, just as a clarification, I think the bigger accountability here is to Suzuki. You know, they, they've got a, made a tremendous investment in the class, in the Vance and Hines team, and I think they, they really demand results. And, and, you know, when neither rider was able to deliver, you know, multiple wins or, or a championship, um, that, that, you know, sort of dictates what happens next. And, you know, Kevin, the timing of the announcement uh, for her release before Thanksgiving, does that set up a situation of PRI where we're going to understand or maybe learn who that new rider is? Or is this something you think they're going to keep closer to the vest uh, until later in the winter? I know you, you always have your ear to the railroad tracks on this uh, on this class. What have you heard buzz-wise about a potential announcement at PRI? Uh, I don't think you'll have anything at PRI. Um, I know that there's there's two individuals that they're looking at pretty hard. Um and uh, you will probably see something around January 1st. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a contractual thing or uh, just a timing going thing. on there. Yeah, yeah. but um, uh, they have sort of a plan going forward. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll surprise a few people if it, if it goes down the way I think it's going to. Um, but that should be, you know, uh, a strong team again next year. It would be hard to imagine that they won't contend for a championship. I mean, they're, they're just not. It's not the type of team that's going to allow this sort of thing to linger uh, into two years. They'll, they'll make whatever changes are necessary uh, to get back and, and give Matt Smith and the rest of the class a run for their money. And, and the last question for you, is there a possibility that Angel lands on the second uh, white alligator racing bike with Jerry Savoie? And, and obviously she's going to have to bring some funding to that, as Karen Stouffer did uh, with her sponsors. But is there a chance that that is a, a position that may be open to her? I, you know, never say never. But that's not something that I would think would be a favorite. I, I believe Jerry has a, has a rider, um, a new rider that he's looking at bringing in at some point. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I don't know if Karen's bike is available. Uh, I, I believe we, we've heard rumors of John Hall coming back, maybe taking a look at that bike. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, um, you know, again, I, I wouldn't, you know, uh, don't know that that's the gospel, but that's kind of, one of the rumors, so I, I think the, the war team will look a little different. I'm just not sure if Angel fits into their plans. So if we move into the pro stock category, um, you know, we're expecting big news, as Tony intimated. Uh, we're expecting some big news out of the KB Racing Camp at PRI. Um, Greg Anderson hinted at it at SEMA. You know, they, they made some mention. Of course, we know that Ken Black has uh, officially retired as a team owner. We understand that the that the team effectively has been sold. It's not going anywhere, but it may actually be growing. And, you know, Tony, when we look at KB Racing, do we kind of look at KB Racing in 2022 the same way we look at Vance and Hines in 22, that we should expect them to really come out with some big teeth in 23 to, to kind of atone themselves, so to speak? Well, they should. When you look at their performance, they didn't really, they didn't make too many gains. Elite did. And, you know, there's, you can always put a, a dollar amount to, to performance. And, you know, I, I don't think that Richard Freeman is short on that. And what that allows him to do is test and try and, and keep that dyno running. Because as long as that dyno is running in the shop, they're finding or they're looking, at least looking for power. And if you look at their, 
their overall elapsed time, they made they made some gains, and and the KB team didn't. So maybe uh, with the the change with their business model, um, that should help. But you know, when it's all said and done, what you what you really need to do if you're if you're the KB team, if you're Greg Anderson, if you're Greg Anderson, you should have won a lot more races. There's there's no denying that. And and you know, fortunately for Greg, he's he's so involved. He's such a an important component of that organization that he can get away with it. You know, and, and he's not bad. He's just not as good as you need to be. What, what needs to happen is you need to give the, the other drivers, like Dallas Glenn, who has so much potential, like Kyle Koretsky, they can only help. Now, you're going to have to compete with them if you're Greg Anderson, but there's no question. They need to find two to three hundredths of a second in those other cars. And the pattern that I've seen, and it may not be in horsepower. It may be in how they're tuning the cars. It may be in the depth because they qualify better than the race. Yeah. They run yeah. good in the first round when the conditions are the coolest, and they just tend to fall off. Meanwhile, Erica, if she's fallen off in qualifying or in the first round, they get better. So there's something that's going on with how they're setting these, these cars up, how they're tuning these cars that I think that needs to get looked at as well. Are we going to see more cars next year in pro stock, Kevin? I mean, we already had a ton this year, but I mean, hundred percent uh, guaranteed. Uh, we know that uh, with the KB announcement, they're looking to expand, um, possibly adding two new drivers to the class. Uh, Richard Freeman has already confirmed they have uh, one guy ready to go. Who uh, I mean, they still need to get him get his license upgraded, but he uh, R- Richard actually said in the media center. He's already paid me for half a season, and as long as that goes fairly well, I would expect him to do the full tour. Uh, and my understanding yeah, too no, is that I Coughlin. Think, my understanding too is this: Coughlin has a sponsor for next year. We don't know who it is yet, but I, we're not going to lose him either. So, like you're talking about, this isn't necessarily a replacement, but but an ad for them. Yeah, yeah, that, that car will not be yellow and black for for, for probably the, the first time you know ever to have a Coughlin in a car that's not yellow and black. But yes, they have a sponsor. Um, there's a lot of big things apparently happening at Elite. You may even see them venture into another pro class uh, that is not pro stock or even pro mod. Um, I know there's been some discussions about uh, them doing a little different program. Uh, I think the Quadras have uh, big plans uh, to expand their brand. So, um, no, it's for a class that, you know, four or five years ago, you could have argued was on life support. Uh, pro stock looks pretty darn solid right now. And, and to me, you know, just to kind of put a bow on it, it, the pro stock story gives me hope for alcohol funny car, right? That the pro stock story um, in, in the event that we were talking about pro stock, the way we've kind of been talking about alcohol funny car for a little while here, and it turned the corner and, and got better. So to me, that pr- provides a good roadmap. Obviously, that you know, the team owners got together and, and figured out ways to help bolster the class, which obviously has worked uh, in great method to, to bring this into a category that has, you know, 20 plus cars showing up. And if there is a, you know, I think we always look at stuff in the moment and we're going to look back over time. Like when we look back over time in pro stock in those, you know, quote unquote, dark days of four or five years ago, I think we're going to have a lot bigger appreciation for guys like Alan Brzezinski and some of the other ones that that were just where they were showing up and doing the best they damn well could and what they had. And they were some of the guys that, in effect, kept this thing rolling ahead as slowly as it was rolling. Yeah, Brian, I think one of the things that are going to help if it can get off the ground and, and compete would be the Ford engine. You know, it, yeah. it's, it, you know, the diversity, the couple of Fords, 
that's cool. But when you have a Ford power plant in that car, now I think I think the fans are going to take more to that. They're, you know, and there's hardcore fans, and there's just the ones that just want to see fast cars that don't particularly know a lot about the cars. But when they hear it's a Chevy with a Chevy engine, it's a Ford with a Ford engine, that's going to get their attention. And I, yeah. I think that's another thing that could help as long as it's competitive, as long as it's promoted properly. Yeah, and, and along those lines, Kevin, Factory X is uh, finally going to make its appearance. We're going to see a Factory X car in the NHRA booth. It'll be Jeff Turk's uh, Blackbird uh, Challenger drag pack, or Challenger, I guess, was not necessarily a drag pack. It's got a tube chassis. But, you know, I think what's been interesting, a lot of people have seen it as a detriment for how long it's taken these cars to come out, through no fault of the builders, that they need to wait for the parts to show up from the factory. But this... um. The gestation period of this, I think, maybe helps in the fact that when they get to the racetrack and we start to see them in the in the spring, they're going to be much more sorted out than if they had just been kind of barfed out of a chassis shop and run out in front of people. Yeah, I mean, last year at PRI, uh, the Factory X class was all the rage. Uh, it, it was the major topic of conversation in the NHRA booth and around the show, and then it sort of died off. Uh, we optimistically thought we would see a car or two by midseason. That didn't happen. Um, but now that you know we have probably four or five cars that are close to completion and maybe even another 10 to 15 th- that, that are at least in the process of being built, uh, you can start to formulate a schedule. And I think you're looking at probably four or five exhibition races next year, possibly as soon as Gainesville, if we can get uh, enough cars built and tested. Um, and, and I really think this class, number one, I think it's going to be a home run. Um, just the fact that it's stick shift cars, they're going to run sixes at, at around 200 miles an hour. They will look like the factory cars. You know, everything about that, I think, appeals to the fans and to the racers. But I also think anytime you have something new, um, it's a bit of a wild card where, you know, the question is going to be who, who's the first team that, that's going to sort of find the sweet spot. Yeah. And I, I just think that makes for some really fascinating racing. It, not not to knock pro stock, but you know, you look at pro stock, you've got a very refined package that's been sort of the same for a long time, and you kind of know what to expect. You know, Erica is going to be quick, Greg's car, but here, um, it's it's wide open. And and if you're a you know a, an innovative racer, if you're someone that's that's on the ball, or even if you just had to get lucky and hit the right tune up, you might have some early success. And, and the thought of that is really appealing. It is. And, and we look at, obviously, you know, just to, to make the comparison, in Pro Stock, you have your two major engine suppliers in Elite and KB. Frank Iaconio's got some stuff out there. The uh, the, the McGahays have some stuff out there. But when we start to talk about Factory X, we can talk about the Barton family, the Stanfield family, Chris Holbrook. Let's go right down the line of some of these engine builders that are um, not necessarily household names to a hardcore Pro Stock fan, but are household names to people who are in love with with you know, the style of drag racing that's very popular with a generation uh, in their 30s and 40s now, which is a smaller tire, which is that uh, late model, you know, style engine platform. So I think all of that is going to add into uh, what should be a really, really neat debut season for uh, for Factory X. In Funny Car, Tony, you know, you made mention of this before, but I want to I want to kind of go a little bit more in depth on it. When we look at the landscape and and versus top fuel dragster which we'll get to but we don't really see anybody going i'm gonna have a funny car next year we get a lot of people saying they're gonna have dragsters but we get nobody saying they're gonna have a funny car why is that why well the the money that it takes to compete and i think even if there's some that are um even if there's some that are considering it 
the, you know, the, the cost and, and the competition may, you know, may make them reconsider. You know, you have to compete with, it's no longer Don Schumacher racing. And, and I'll just make one last comment on, on what you said about pro stock. It really starts with the team owners that have the passion to do it. You know, Ken Black could have done anything. He, he could have been sitting on a, a hundred foot uh, yacht if he wanted, <laughs> but you know, he chose, he chose this sport. Don Schumacher is another team owner that just had a passion for doing it. You know, he loves fishing. Um, I'm pretty sure he could have been fishing all those weekends that he was, you know, that he was, he was out drag racing. So, um, you know, I think, I think to go back to your question, it, it would be great to see, I think at some point when, you know, when the economics are there, you know, this Brian, this is one of those questions that I'm going to go back to TV. I've, I got to go back to, to what we're doing, Brian. And it's, it's not, it's not about us. And I, I think if, if you were to ask me, if, if, what is there? Is there one thing that this sport can do that that's that's going to help everything? I don't think there's one thing. You know, I know with the racers, there's there's the cost of racing, there's the rules, there's this or that, and and there are some things that I think would help would help contain the cost. You always want to make it safe for the racer. You especially want to make it safe for the spectator. But it's entertainment and. You know what moves the needle is when sponsors here, there's been over a million viewers. Okay, so so we take our lumps, you know, from from the big babies that don't get big-time sports. And I, I don't understand that because for anyone that watches, you know, the, this World Cup, and, and you, you hear 17 million flipping viewers, right? And And that's what we're fighting for. And... And, and the NBA, the NFL, you think about all the other venues and all the other forms of sports that we have to compete with. And, you know, what it comes down to is ratings. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, is it is it the rules? Is it the cost? Yes, yes. Is it, um, you know, like the crew chiefs and the, the crews are working on cars to make it better but are the drivers, are the ones, are the faces of our sport, are they doing their homework? Are we going to hear the same cliches? Are we going to hear the same interviews? Brian, I got to tell you, I've been listening to some of these guys for 20 years, and I'm hearing the same thing. <laughs> I'm hearing the same thing over and over. So I know I get a little critical about that because I listen to myself. I watch it, not because I enjoy it. In fact, I can't stand it. You know, it's like, I'm just, I'm one of those people that I don't like to hear my own voice. I especially don't like to see my, my face sometimes. I remind myself of a bulldog, but I do it because I want to get better. I want to do a better job. Um, and, and I think, I think racers, you drive a race car. That's what you do. You want to do that well, but you know what your, your other, uh, the, the part of being a race car driver is getting out. See, not we're not quite like athletes, like boxers. Boxers, like like Richard Pryor said, Muhammad or Leon Spinks. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. When he asked him, Leon, what do you do? I knock. You know what's out. That's it. You don't have to. But but our sport is different because if you're going to represent a brand or a company, and not all of them, but most of them have to. Some of them just have enough that they really don't have to answer to anyone. But it's funny because those are the most intriguing drivers and interviews that we get because they don't give a heck about anything. And that's all we're asking for. We're just asking for that authenticity. So 
I, and I know I went off the cuff a little bit, but I think that is such an important part of teams and drivers getting sponsors. When you walk in the boardroom and you sit down with a group of people, and I got to tell you, for these for these racers that they're going out to the races, it's like going and fishing on a pier. Everybody's fishing in the same spot. Yeah. It really, typically, in my experience, it doesn't happen at the racetrack. It happens from Monday through Thursday. You just happen to be going to a race and, and, and promoting and leveraging what it is you're doing. So the real work takes place during the week in the boardroom with the somebody in marketing that has to buy into it. So so why aren't we seeing that funny car? Because it's pretty dang expensive, and it's spiraled into into where it's so expensive that it keeps – it keeps a lot of people out. Now there, there are your independents that show up. Um, and, and I'm not going to call Chad green an independent, but even for a guy like that, that can swing it, uh, even for a poly that you don't see them competing at all the races, it might be different for Chad, but that's how expensive it has become. And that's how difficult it is for them to be able to be competitive and not just show up and get beat in the first round. Who wants to do that after they do that 50 times, it's not fun. So, I think there are a lot of things that need to happen. I think TV, I think for us to get better, to continue to try to produce a good show for the drivers, for crying out loud, do your homework and for them to be a little more entertaining. Not all of them, because some of them give us everything that they, that, that we want. Yeah. And they're very good because they're just themselves. But I, I think a lot of things uh, containing the cost. I think a lot of things play into to that question that you asked me. And Kevin, if there is anybody on the horizon that would be potentially adding a funny car, and I'm not saying this for 23, but maybe if we, if we even look forward to 24, you know, I think the longstanding rumor about AB Motorsports has been that eventually Antron would like to find his way into a funny car. And again, this would not be for the 2023 season, but can you see that happening over there? Can you see maybe a transition for him after after a potentially successful 23 season? The short answer is yes, but but as you said, and as Tony said, you know, you've got to find the budget to do it, and that's difficult, and I'm not really sure what the answer to that is. I, I don't know what steps you can make uh, to, to make a funny car program more enticing. Uh, you know, we, we've heard some rumors about, you know, the Maynard team looking to expand. I, I think that's probably legit. I, I mean, honestly, I think every team out there if you go back through the years, have all said, "Oh yeah, we'd like to add another car." Yeah. Um, and, and and if you know, even if even a third of them actually do it, it's great news. But you know, at some point, the rubber needs to hit the road, and and let's see, let's see an announcement, let's see a car being built, let's see a new driver announced. Um, you know, I do think some of those things are going to happen this winter. Just not sure how many. Yeah, I agree with that. And and Tony, what do you think the learning curve, the steepness, the quickness of the Tato Kahara Aaron Brooks move to Tascas is going to be? And uh, have you heard anything about their a winter testing program beyond what will be the preseason test that will lead up to the Gator Nationals? No, I haven't yet. I mean, it's been pretty quiet here, you know, yeah. because of the way that you know Thanksgiving holidays. Sure. But I think I think everyone at this point they're back in the shop. They're starting to sort those things out they're having those discussions but so i mean that's that that's a twofold question we'll talk about what we think about schumacher when we get to top fuel but uh to be honest with you the way i look at it you know i I look at the numbers i look at the bottom line and i know what was happening there within within that team you had 
you had a, uh, a, a crew chief, a very, a very good, a very decorated, um, a very respected crew chief that was telling the driver how to drive, telling them don't deep stage, not only telling them, but putting the blame on it. And the problem that I have with that is you better be pretty damn good. If you're going to tell a driver that, that I think is probably a top five driver, I, if you're going to tell him how to stage a car, and put the blame on him, you better have knocked down some wins. I don't think that of Mike Neff. I think he was arguably one of the best cars that a driver could get in, and that car should have won a lot more races. So so I guess my point is, is that that wasn't the best chemistry with that team. And what effect did it have on the driver? I, 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 it's some. I just don't think it was the kind of culture where you walk in, you know, when I go back, I, you look at Cap's, and the chemistry that he has with, with Dean Antonelli, with John Medlin, I know them both very well. And when you walk into that pit, it's just good. It's not good just because they're winning. It's good even when they're having problems because everyone gets along. Everyone's compatible. And and when you walk into Tony Stewart racing, it's, it's like, wow, you want to be there. You know, there's smiles on their face, even when things aren't going right, because that's really the test. But that wasn't the case with Tasca. So I think that marriage, was just one of those that was ultimately going to end in divorce, just like the rest of the 70% of them. They, I think, to answer your question, I don't think it could be as bad. Where was that car when when they really needed it? You, I mean, you're going to blame it on Task on the driver, who whole-shotted his way to a couple of wins, and, he, yeah, he may have lost a couple of close races, but so did Matt Hagen, so did Ron Capp, so did Robert Height. When, when you're competing in the top five in Funny Car, that is what is going to happen. You're going to be on the losing end of some close races. But if you ask me, that car wasn't there. The car's performance wasn't there when Tasca needed it most. So you combine, you take, I've, and I've always said this, if you can't find two guys to make up the one, get three of them, you know what, to yeah. make one good one. I think you have, I think one or the other, could do just fine on their own. But the fact that you, you put these two together to work together, to feed off of one another, uh, I think I think it can be just as good. I mean, we'll find out when we get to the track. But I don't think these guys are going to flop like most people think. Yeah, and I, 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 the benefit I of both of them. Hold, I'm sorry, Brian. I just don't hold some of these. Hey, Jimmy Pock, there's no question. He is pretty good. Vicky Venables, he's as good as they get. But I, I just, you know... It's, it's an engine. You just got to tell it what to do and, and you got to set the car. So there's the engine, there's the clutch and there's the driver. I think they'll be fine. And I'm Kevin, sure. to kind of Tony's point, I think we look at, we look at the teams that had success this year and, and especially just narrow to the fuel categories. And we look at the role that the crew chief played in those, in those cars, not even to deal with the wrenches, not even dealing with the tune-up, but the role that those crew chiefs played as coaches and leaders of their teams. Let's go right down the list. Dickie Venables, beloved by his guys. Uh, Jimmy Prox guys would run through a brick wall for him. David Grubnick's guys are, are so allegiant that they stopped racing for a year and didn't abandon him and came back in 2021. And I think that's an important lesson that may get overlooked sometimes in this sport is that role that that guy plays as a coach in the interpersonal level as opposed to just a guy turning the screws. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the perfect analogy. You almost need to be like uh, the, the coach of a football or baseball team where you, you need to get every guy on that team pulling the rope in the same direction. Um, you can have all the tuning talent in the world, but if, if you have one guy on the crew who's 
lazy, you know, leave, leaves a bolt loose or, you know, something, it, it's a disaster and it makes the crew chief look bad. It makes the whole team look bad. So, you know, you really need to have, um, you know, team building, which I, the guys you mentioned, you know, especially I think David Grubnick is a prime example where, um, you know, he, he goes out of his way to make them all feel like they're part of the process, uh, like they're important. And, you know, as a result, every person on that team is willing to work hard. They put a lot of pride into what they do. And that's why that car tends to go down the track every time. And, and you don't see a lot of really crazy, stupid stuff going on. Um, and, and that, uh, to, to me, that's every bit as important as a guy that can make, you know, a top fuel car go 360s. Yeah, that's a fact. And, you know, we saw the addition of, of Lee Beard to what uh, to Cruz Pedregon's program and, and what that allowed them to do at the end of the season, which sets them up great for 23. But one last car I want to touch on, kind of out of left field before we go to top fuel, is Jim Campbell. And, and Big Jim Dunn's car that all of a sudden over the last couple of races started snapping off these mid to low 90s runs. It was like it, it was we would every once in a while see that thing run 399. And then all of a sudden we start start run mid 390s. And then it, I think it snapped off a 92 at the last race of the season. And Tony, is that a function of Jim looking at his parts inventory saying, OK, well, we're at the end of the rope now. I can I can lean on some of this stuff. I don't need all of it right now. Or is that a guy who's who just decided that he was going to try to actually go racing one weekend and and uh, you know, not be as concerned about eating a T-bone on Sunday night as he was maybe eating a, eating a hamburger. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you have to laugh. You have to smile. A 392 will win you some rounds. I, I don't know if it's going to win you a lot of races, but it, it sure as heck could when things warm up a little bit. Um, you know, it depends on who you ask. I mean, it's, it's fine just to listen to Jim and his interviews, and there's a lot of truth in what he says. I, yeah, I'll i go back to when I, I think I was in the – it might've been the final round of that bud shootout in Indy and over the PA. I mean, we got to the final, we were going to, I don't remember who was driving his car, but, but he said he had a new set of heads, especially for that occasion. And, and he wasn't joking. He bolted a new set of heads on and the guy beat us. I mean, I was driving for John Forrest and, and he just flat out beat us. But so there's some, there's, you just have to kind of read between the lines with Jim and, and what he said when they ran a 392. Uh, in the interview, he says, well, I, I, you know, I think my, fi- my driver's finally ready, yeah. you know, for a 392. And I think to some degree, you know, he feels that way. Yeah. I think that, you know, Jim Campbell is, has been in the seat for a long time, but, um, he's done some things that have been good, uh, low profile. And he's been, he's done some things that are a little egregious, you know, just, and, and again, these funny cars, they're hard to handle. They're pretty wild, short wheel based. They do crazy things, and, and it's not easy. I mean, a driver has to be able to see good. You have to have a good feel for the car. Sometimes you don't want to get off the throttle because, you know, you see the finish line, and it's coming up pretty quick. But um, I think there is some truth when he says that he thinks his driver's ready uh, to, to have that kind of performance because, you know, it tends to get the front end a little bit lighter and, and become a little more of a handful. So it's great to see. And, and I hope we see a lot more of it, and especially I hope we see a lot more of Jim Dunn. Yeah, that's a fact. So, so, so I, have, I have a question, and we're dealing with rumor and speculation only here. Uh, are we sure Jim Campbell is going to drive that car next year? 
I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know that he came out and said that he's locked in for next year yet. So that's a, that's a valid point. Normally, Jim at the, you know, later races or even at Pomona will say in an interview, "Hey, I'm ready to go for next year." Blah blah blah. I'm not sure I actually heard him say that. Tony, do you remember him saying that? Well, one thing about this sport, if you don't hear a rumor by twelve o'clock, go ahead and start one. <laughs> um, I, I hadn't heard that one, but you know, Kevin, it makes sense. Uh, you must know something <laughs> we don't, but, uh, you know, it's, it's always, it's always a moving target, you know, and, and it, this is another, a whole different conversation and it really does come down to money. I realize that, but you know, at some point when we, we talk about these changes in pro stock motorcycle and, and some of the younger talent that we see in pro stock, it, it's still, and it all will always will be a money game. Okay. Um, money ball, but there's, I mean, do you, do you want someone with talent or more, more talent or more money? Which do you want? I, I'm, if you go back to my roots and there's, there's, there's a, there's a, a lot of guys, there's a lot more of me than there are, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the flip side. And, and I'm always, I'm pro talent. I'm pro get this guy with talent. It, it, there's somebody that might have more money, but you know, in the end it might hurt you. I, I just, I'd love to see the, the, the talented drivers, whether it's on a pro stock bike, I'd love to see them have the opportunity that so many of us have had and prove themselves and, and get on a good machine uh, because not everybody can come up with, you know, with uh, depending on what we're talking about with two and a half or three million bucks. That's, that's a pretty tall order. But since we're talking about rumors and if it's Jim Campbell, I hope it's someone with talent and, you know they're they're going to be bringing some money to that program, but that's a new one, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, do you know, uh, have you heard have you heard anything along those lines, Kevin? Or is it just a situation where you you, you didn't hear the same stuff we didn't hear? Well, it's a little bit of both, but but I did have someone who is generally very reliable. Um, you know, basically asked me, "Hey, have you heard anything about Jim Campbell next year?" I hear there may be a change, so I, I don't really want to start a rumor. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to, but but. Um, you know, I'm a little late for that, Kevin. <laughs> well, okay. Fair enough. Horse, <laughs> horse, quick, get back in the barn. Oh, it ran away. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, it, it, it's out there. Um, you know, it, it would be, you know, nice at some point here to, to either get a confirmation or a denial. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's actually crazy to think that Jim Campbell, I think, is the longest tenured driver um, that, that Jim Dunn has ever had. Um, you know, obviously, you know, that, that used to be pretty much an annual change over there. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see where this one goes. So we moved to top fuel and I just want to kick this off with the rumors because it's like everybody in the world seems to say that they're going to do something in top fuel next year. Um, we've heard Lyle Barnett. Uh, talking about running a top fuel car next year. We have heard potentially Julian Natas maybe getting into a seat sometime next year. We have heard Travis Shoemake potentially getting in the seat next year. We have heard Jasmine Salinas potentially having a second car with that team next year. Um, and, of course, we got the Marcel DuPont situation where uh, – or rather Maurice DuPont situation where he comes out, uh, runs the race in Pomona. We interview him on the TV show, and he says it's going to be two cars and it's going to be this and that. And I hope that any of this is true – I hope that even half of it is true, but is this, I don't know. I don't even know what to make of this, Kevin, in that we've heard a lot of people say some stuff and people that certainly have designs on doing it. We just haven't seen anybody really put the rubber to the road yet. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a fact. And I think the clock is ticking, you know, even though you've got a little extra time 
with the season not starting till Gainesville, you know, if you are going to get a new driver license or upgrade a current license, um, you probably need to have the wheels turn in here shortly after the first of the year at the latest. Um, you know, and the other thing is parts and, and, and cars available. I mean, there's cars out there, but I don't think there's a huge surplus. So if, if a team is looking to expand, uh, they need to start uh, acquiring personnel and equipment um, pretty quickly. You know, and every one of those you mentioned, I think, is valid. I think they would all like to do it. You know, it's just a matter of, of you know, putting the program together uh, and making it happen. You know, and I'll add to that the one that uh, is kind of secretive, you know, potentially Frank Hawley has a new driver. Yes. Uh, we, we don't know anything about uh, who it is, where they came from, but apparently they're intent on making it in top fuel. And, you know, the rumor is there's budget there. So I, um, I know enough about that situation to be potentially dangerous here. And only to say that, uh, you know, having spent some time with Frank at uh, the SEMA show and, and uh, being privy to some of the conversations, we're not going to give up the factory story here. But whoever this driver is, and he was very tight-lipped on the, even the guy's name. But to your point, Kevin, um, this guy has has very uh, very high-level connections on a, on a family basis, I guess you'd say, um, with some major executives at large, at least one very large, like Fortune 500 level company. So uh, Frank was working with uh, some of the NHRA people to put some information together for these people to justify this decision. But yeah, to your point, that is another one that's just definitely flown, be- to their credit, has flown underneath the radar. Now, you know, when we talk about doing this, Tony, I mean, it's a year wait to get a trailer. So for anybody who's saying they're going to jump in one of these cars next year, the only hope they really have to do it in a logical way to look at it is in somebody's second car, right? And even that's a stretch if they don't have a second crew. Well, there's no, there's no doubt about the trailers. I mean, you're not going to be able to get one in in a few months. I mean, that's just not going to happen. So, you know, it's I think I think people that really really want to do it, they get very creative, especially when you know the almighty dollar talks they can buy there's a couple of trailers that are floating around it may not be ideal but it could it could get them up and running but that's a concern i mean that's a concern that some of these owners have is like well can we really feel the team i mean and especially for the ones that have never done it before their concerns are not necessarily parts because you can buy you can buy most parts you're gonna have to wait for a few things but but crew members there's a shortage of you know of, of crew members good ones and and then there's the equipment you know trucks yeah that's not as much of a challenge as a trailer but you know again if they want to do it bad enough money talks you can buy a trailer or two if you if you need the redundant second junk hauler um but it, it can be done especially uh, especially for the ones that have deep pockets and, and then the other thing we should look at, too, Kevin, is, is guys like Trip Shoemake. I mean, we only saw, you know, Trip obviously the incredible win for him in Gainesville, but we only saw him like two or three more times after that. And this is a guy who had certainly had designs on running more. Now, we saw fuel prices spike. We saw all kinds of crazy economic stuff happen during the season, which I believe was the driver and his decision making of when and where to race. But 
there is a potential to see if things calm down a little bit a guy like shoemaker expand his schedule which again isn't adding a car per se but it kind of is when we start to see a car that's established show up more we know tj zizzo took the year off they've basically finished assembling what is a brand new car for them not saying we're going to see them 10 or 12 times but we'll probably see them four or five times next year so among the the people who want to jump in there's also those that kind of idled on the sidelines this year that may expand yeah, you said Trip Shoemake, but I assume you mean Trip Tatum. I'm sorry, yes, Trip Tatum. Trip Tatum. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that's obviously a fantastic car that can run with the best of them. Um, you know, but I, I, I know Trip just well enough to know that, you know, he tries to be responsible with his budget. And, yeah, you know, when you looked at the market taking a downturn this year, things I, I think he decided to pull back some. But clearly he wants to race and um, – is going to do it when when it makes sense. So I think, as you said, um, you know, to expand your schedule to do, you know, a half dozen, maybe eight, I, I think that's possible. Not really sure what's going on with the Zizzo team, but every time you see that car, it's very competitive. <coughs> so it certainly needs to be out there. You know, with us returning to Chicago next year, it would be hard to imagine they don't at least run that event. Yeah, no, they'll be um, out. They'll be out next year. Knowing a couple of the guys on that team, I mean, they they made a conscious decision. They it took them a while to get the chassis, and once they got the chassis, they was kind of be, it was behind the schedule they wanted to be on. So they just decided to look at each other and say, "Look, let's put this thing together the right way. Let's let's kind of build a war chest up and go out next year and be fully prepared." So we will definitely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, see them multiple times next year. Yeah, and and, and I think you'll see a bit more out of uh, uh, Dan Mercier next year. Uh, you know, that, that car will, will probably run a handful of events. Um, you know, it, it, it's great that we're looking at probably a dozen or more full-time cars, maybe even as many as 14 or 15. But but I also think the quality of the part-timers has gone up and, and will Way continue up. to do so. Um, and, you know, I, I think given the, the right weather conditions, you will probably see the record for bump spots uh, hit a couple times next year. And, Tony, I know there's not been a lot of news in the Brownsburg area because of the holidays and stuff like that, but has there been any mention about what's going on with the with the Billy Torrance top fuel car? Because the first thing we heard was that that, that stuff was for sale. Do you perceive any, any possibility that someone would say, hey, let's not sell it, let me rent it, let me pay for it, let me lease it, and run it as part of your second car as part of this team? Do you, do you perceive that as a possibility? I see it as a possibility if if Billy's not interested in racing, if he is completely done. So I've heard both. I've heard, you know, and and that tends to be the, you know, of course, the rumor when, you know, when there's a fallout, when there's a blow up in the pits, you know, when stuff's thrown around. And I don't know how accurate any of that information is, but, you know, at least that's that was the telephone game that we were hearing. And. You know, and, and things have settled down a little bit. And if, you know, if Billy wants to run one or two or three races, that equipment isn't going to be for sale because Billy isn't, uh, he doesn't come off to me as the kind of guy that needs to get rid of this stuff because right. he, <laughs> right. he needs the money. But that was one of the, that was one of the operations that I thought of. And, you know, even for a guy like Billy Torrance, um, you know, hey, money talks if he can get the right price if he's not interested in racing. And and I think, and I'm hoping that for Billy, it was just one of those moments that it was a little frustrating at the time. And, you know, of course, I think we now know that, you know, it wasn't five in a row, it was four in a row. And I'm pretty sure those guys are uh, as motivated as ever. And, 
you know, but, but there's, you know, there's not one, but there's a couple of trailers there that are available if, um, if Billy chooses not to race, but I, I, you know, today's just Tuesday and, and, uh, I'm, I've got a feeling that within the next week and especially by the time we all get to PRA, I'm pretty sure we're going to have a lot more information. And Kevin, that is the Willy Wonka golden ticket of a top fuel car, right? If, if they're willing to take the, if they're willing to take somebody's money to run that thing, I mean, there is not a better car that somebody that would take a, a premium ticket. Don't get me wrong. If, if someone's going to get in that thing, if it ever becomes available, it will not be a budget bargain situation, but damn, if you're an aspiring driver that can raise money, that's the one you want. Oh, for, for sure. You know, to, to, it's not that difficult if you have some budget to, to get yourself in the seat of a top fuel car. It is extremely difficult to get yourself into one that can come right out and win races. So, yeah, I would certainly expect a premium to be attached to that. But for the right person, it, it, it might be a great option. Oh, yeah. No. And again, complete speculation on my part of it that this would be an option, but it's one of those fun mental games to play. And as Tony said, the only way that that seat would ever become available, if at all, is if Billy is actually truly done running a top fuel car. And and that kind of remains to be seen. There's no official announcement, nor would I expect there to be an official announcement because Billy's going to be racing for years in the future, whether it's Super Comp or anything else. So um, I guess the last question I want to pose both you guys before I let you go, looking back over 22, what was your maybe race of the season? If you look back over one event that you thought, damn, what was the one event that uh, that you'd like to stake your hat on as kind of the premier event of 22? Well, I'm not going to say this because it was the most recent, but it had to be the finals. I, it, it, and it's, I'm not saying this because of the bias, because it was proved, but really, you know, it was the funny car. It was really the funny car chase. I mean, top fuel was interesting, but, you know, for Justin Ashley, when you're getting beat in the first round and in Vegas, it didn't really seem that they were the same team or the same car it wasn't as consistent it wasn't as quick but to me it's funny car because when Cruz rolled out in that first qualifying session and when they ran that 384 i just i i just can't help but think that it had a ripple effect i think that it affected some crew chief i think that may be the reason they smoked the tires in the first qualifying session maybe even in the second qualifying session i think they were all chasing that and I think just the way we saw it go down the cap run in, in Q4, you know, I, 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 it just all of those runs were so big. And the way that it played out, the way that it ended, you know, not necessarily with Hagen, but, you know, with Robert, it, you know, just it just like it's it's like it slipped away from him. You know, they, they let they let uh, it's like, you know, they, they handed the ball off to him. He was running. And somebody came and ripped the ball right out of his hands and took off and ran to the end zone. And and just the way it finished, I mean, with casting crews in the final. And, you know, for me, I, you know, it's like, how do you peel off runs between 383 and 385, eight consecutive runs? I just think that, to me, was, was of all the drama that we had over the course of the year, that was a, in my opinion, a great race. Kevin, what about you? It, you know, th- th- it's really easy to pick uh, – the, the low hanging fruit, uh, and, and yes, it, it, if you're looking at it from that point, uh, Pomona was certainly amazing. Uh, I'm tempted to say Gainesville, um, because that had the potential to be such an amazing race with the weather. I mean, it's a shame we lost a couple days to rain, but you know, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, and I think Indy is always Indy, and you had so much cool stuff that happened there, uh, you know, with Greg Anderson getting his. Hundred, you know, his hundredth win, and Antron um, coming and winning, and Caps finally. I mean, there was just so much cool stuff that happened there. 
uh, I my my vote would have to go to Indy. And you know what? I'm going to go the way you were originally going to go. I, I I look back over it, and again, in retrospect, I look at Gainesville only because of how it played out in that it was like in the depths of despair. We had six inches of rain that week. You got one round of qualifying. You got, you know, guys like uh, Langdon don't make the show. Leah doesn't make the show. And then you have these incredible world records set in pro stock motorcycle and pro stock car. You know, you got Trip Tatum winning the damn race. You got Blake Alexander in a final round. Tony Stewart gets his first win. That was an event to me that 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 turned around on a dime. What was going to be something that it's our one of our big premier races. I was kind of down in the dumps with the way everything was going with the weather, and it uh, it ended up kind of delivering. And and that uh, you know that to me, looking back over the course of it, we had so many great races this year. It's obviously impossible to pick one, but uh, yeah, to yeah, me, it's if, if you want a, if you want a good dark horse, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Bristol. Um, I thought you know I just remember the pro stock final with yeah. Erica grenading that engine. Yep. Um, you know, Langdon almost doubling. Uh, Bristol was a pretty memorable event for me. I'm looking forward to going back next year. Well, fellas, I will see you both at PRI. You're both uh, Indiana bound. I am. Well, you're Indiana stuck. I I will be Indiana bound next week. But uh, no, it's it's going to be great. And um, you know, we came into PRI last year knowing that we we're going to hear some big news from Caps and some other people. And it may be a little bit different this year in that we don't know that these. We know there's KB and a news coming, um, and and it's going to be the other stuff may kind of uh, approach us as surprises, which is uh, which is always a good thing as well. So, fellas, thanks for uh, hanging out. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving and I will see you at PRI. See you. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. And these guys won't be strangers. We'll check in with them during the offseason, but we'll go back to our regular slate of drivers and other personalities as we move forward. And that, as they say, is that for this episode of the NHRA Insider. As mentioned, we're going to transition ourselves back into the world of drivers, of personalities, and of inside stories for this offseason. Looking forward to the PRI show next week. There will be an insider before we go to that PRI show for 2022. And we look forward to continuing to bring you the NHRA Insider over this offseason. Hopefully everybody had a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you again next week right here on the NHRA Insider with Brian Loans.